from what I understood, like he wasn't, I know he's back now, but before all this happened, I always thought if you're under investigation, you weren't allowed to be in contact with anybody or doing anything. So the fact that he's back and people who are way smarter than me uh, know all this legality and stuff, it'll be an interesting time. They say, I, I did read that like he's looking to maybe get back in and sell the company. Who knows who, um, you know, I've always been, you know, there was, you know, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, people were speculating, uh, you know, with all the firings and dumping of salaries, everybody's like, oh, he's going to sell the business. This is what you do. You, you, you make the uh, overhead low and the, the profit margin high. So when you sell it, you go, oh, look at all this money we made with a little bit of spending we're doing. So I know that much. I was like, oh, they're, and in my hand, my brain, uh, I'm thinking they're, you know, they would sell to some. If I owned a WWE, I would sell to somebody like Amazon because you figure Amazon has their already has their streaming. They sell everything. So imagine being Amazon buying WWE and you're buying a product that you can sell and keep 100% of the, uh, the sales for. To me, that would be a no brainer. Whereas if they sold to another television company, a television company has to set up all that infrastructure to, to sell like a WWE, a new WWE zone or stuff like that. Amazon, they have everything already there. So they just send the WWE stuff to the Amazon warehouses. But uh, if he sells, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, the thing I thought never would happen, happened. You know, the, the lore was that Vince will never leave them. He will die in the gorilla position. That was... You know, they'll, they'll go to the gorilla position one day and, you know, Vince, you know, will have died in the, because he's obsessed with WWE. He, he's given his life to WWE. But the, when he was like, all of a sudden, oh, well, I think I'll retire now. It felt so weird. <laughs> but, but now he's back. I really don't know what to say because I don't understand that world of, you know, owning being public. I mean, publicly traded and uh everything that goes into that i'd be i would it's just speculation on my part so if he's back i don't know but uh i will say i, I i've been enjoying the triple h uh tenure uh i like the uh evolution of it the the openness to it i mean shinsuke nakamura working this you know this past weekend with you know the great muda that's amazing. You know, the, the Triple H was cool enough to let him do that. All the other stuff. And they just like not, you know, just being able to, you know, have wrestling the way it, it could be or should be. You know, back in the day, WWF, you know, when Hogan first won the WWF title, he wrestled in New Japan as WWF champion. You know, to be able to work with different companies and stuff like that. I liked what Triple H was doing there. But uh, with Vince back, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't even speculate. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you were right there when D-Generation e X was the hottest thing in the business. Yeah. Did you imagine that he would become like, you know, the custodian of, of WWE after Vince McMahon steps down? Did you see that promise in uh, Paul Levesque at that time? Triple H. Um, is it? It's sound corny, but he's a student of the game. Yeah, he's the game student of the game. 
but you know, I got to share a locker room with him, and you know, he he was always you could tell he's a a businessman. He's he was about the business, the wrestling business. He's about the business of Triple H and the business of WWE, and uh, you know, he's a lifer there. He's one of the few that you know uh, will be there from debut to end and ne- have never left. How many times have guys jumped back and forth from different companies? And but he's always been there. So the fact that he, you know, went up the corporate ladder, so to speak, you know, got a office job and cut his hair, and you know, has a has a has an office with a desk in it, doesn't surprise me because he always seemed level headed. You know, always seemed mindful. You know, um, he was very kind to me, even though he was one of the guys in, up the ladder. He always was very kind to me and um, Stephanie as well. You know, I was treated very well by the McMahons, by Triple H, by a lot of the names, you know, up there. So uh, just the fact that Triple H is now the guy, uh, not surprising because you could just tell he was a businessman in the ring and behind the scenes. And then that's how you have to be when you're, you're in the business, you know, it, it some people treat it like fun and games and those people don't really last that long. Then there's people who take it serious. They have fun. You can have fun doing this, but you can still treat it like a business and treat it with respect. And Triple H has had the most respect for the wrestling business. Or he has been one of the people who have, he has, uh, people be like, oh, I have respect to, no, he's had, you know, every, there's people who have respect for the business, but he's had a lot of respect for the business as well. I've seen Paul show up to the ECW arena, you know, a couple of, like two hours before the show with a napkin with everything written out in the napkin. And you go to WWE, everything's on the computer. It's nicely printed out. There's two production meetings. There's a nice printout on the wall of everything with the breakdown of times. Just a little napkin. Whether you followed his career in ECW or WWE or even our new viewers, uh, if you caught him in his AEW cameo, the Blue Meanie is a living legend. Welcome to WrestleBinge by Sportskira, Mr. Blue Meanie. As prolific a character as he has been in the pro wrestling world, he is also the master of shoot interviews. Nobody gives you an insight into the inner workings of the business like this gentleman you see on your screen. Uh, it's so crazy for me to be uh, talking to you. I said this before I hit the record button. I was watching you 25 years ago from India growing up and uh, you were a great big part of my childhood. Did you realize at that time that you had such a global impact? It's insane to think about. Um, but, you know, that's the uh, power of professional wrestling when you think about it. Um, you know, I got into this business just like everybody, I, I grew up loving what I did. I, you know, I'm, I, 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 w- I was a fan growing up. I still am a fan today. It's an adult. Uh, I just had the benefit of watching it with a different mindset now. Sometimes I watch it with my pro wrestling eyes. 
and sometimes I take my uh, pro wrestling brain, put it out, and put my fan brain back in, and watch it as a fan as well. So there's there, there's things I like, there's things I wish could be better. But uh, you know, back to the question, uh, did did I think you know the stuff I would yeah, I did in wrestling would be still remembered? It's 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 flattering. It's it's really uh, an honor. Just because, you know, you never know when you're doing it, you know, you're, it's just you and the audience and there just happens to be TV cameras there, right? In the room who, I mean, you, you know, it's being recorded, but just the, the, the fact that, you know, uh, with ECW, uh, people take those ECW shows, they pass it on down to their kids. Like it's a, a family heirloom, you know, there's like, here's son, here's my ECW. You, uh, take it on to the grandkids. And then they pass it down. Uh, you know, I have kids who come up to me at conventions. So I loved you in Goldust. I loved you in the Hardys. You know, uh, you know, and I'm just like, man, you weren't alive when this happened. <laughs> How did this happen? But it, it, it's very flattering. It's very humbling. Uh, growing up uh, with the childhood I had, you know, I grew up with uh, severe asthma. And uh, I would always tell people I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And they're like, that's cute. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, when I was driving off to uh, train with Al Snow in 1994, they're like, oh, I guess he's serious. <laughs> that's insane. Uh, I, I had a chat with Billy Gunn sometime before this. And uh, we were talking about the era that you were presenting. And he said every day we felt like rock stars going to work. Was it the same for you? It's insane. It, it was a different level because, uh, you know, there's levels to it. You know, uh, I had, yeah, there's levels. Cause like I went from ECW and ECW, I had a little bit of notoriety, you know, people would see me and I live in South Philly too, which is one of the biggest wrestling cities in, in the world. And people be like, Hey, blue meanie. But then you go get on WWE TV and then you got people following you around in the supermarket, you know? Uh, and I would go to the airport and there'd be people there just waiting for you. Yeah, like, uh, you know, pre 9-11 when people could actually go through security and without a ticket and all that stuff, people would meet you at the gate and stuff like that. But, you know, you know, I had my level, but then like I would see Steve Austin and like that guy had no peace. He had no privacy, you know? He, People always, you know, pulling at him from different directions. Uh, but I mean, I can get it. I can understand, you know, um, you know the uh, the pressure that he went through. And I was nowhere on his level, but I had, you know, you know, my success and stuff like that, and it, it afforded me to have a good life and take care of my family. Um, I was raised by my grandparents and my my mom. And, uh, you know, everybody says, you know, professors go, oh, well, I paid my dues. Well, families pay dues as well, and they help support my, my, my wrestling journey. So uh, when I got to go to the WWE and uh, make some serious money, I was able to tell my uh, mom and grandmom to put, the, put all the bills in my name. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take care of you from now on. So, you know... Um, Getting back to your question of, you know, uh, you know, living life like a rock star. It was living like 
life like a rock star. Uh, ECW was a little bit more punk rock. <laughs> we were a little bit rebellious. We might have been more like uh, the Sex Pistols. You know, uh, all those stories. You, you watch the movies like Almost Famous and guys are riding motorcycles up and down the hallway or just, just crazy parties. Uh, WWE was a little crazy, but we had to be a little bit more subdued because we're more in the public eye than ECW was. But uh, yeah, it was definitely, and, and I have a lot of friends who are musicians and, and in the rock and roll world and rock stars, and we have a common bond. And it's just the um, the bond of you know performing for a live audience, traveling nonstop, dealing with promoters, and uh, all the other stuff that comes with it. You know, that's why we have such a, you know, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins owns the NWA, but he gets the wrestling business perfectly because A, he's written stories to entertain people through song, but now he's doing it in the wrestling ring. But he also knows what it's like to tour and do live events and stuff like that. That's why I think the NWA, him owning the NWA is doing so well. So, but yeah, there's 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 a, there's always a, there's a big connection between, you know, rock and roll and uh, professional wrestling. And stand-up comedians, uh, pro wrestlers and stand-up comedians get along perfectly because we've all dealt with the same stuff behind the scenes to make what happens in front of the camera. It's amazing. No, and speaking of the longevity of uh, ECW, what you mentioned, uh, did you imagine that your former boss would still be a character in the hottest angle on television right now with the bloodline? Uh, <laughs> am I surprised? Am I am I surprised? No. Um, Paul Heyman was a child prodigy, you know. Growing up, he uh, he's been in the business since he was a teenager. What, 14, 15? Uh, he's talked his way into shooting ringside at WWE events as a teenager. You know that how it, that's uh, ingenuity right there, and then to to be able to turn his. Uh, photography job into a managing job Bam Bam Bigelow was the one who dared him to become a manager because he knew he had a gift for gab uh, and you know Paul was doing uh, locally there was wrestling in the Philadelphia Jersey New York area independence uh, I think it was NWC NWC uh, Paul was doing play by play for and Bam Bam Bigelow uh, was wrestling in Memphis and dared him and said hey I dare you to come down to Memphis and, and be a manager and from there, he became a manager, and then uh, he became a booker with Eddie Gilbert down in Continental, and um, that's where he got. He dipped his toes into the uh, pool of booking, and then uh, you know from there he became one of the best managers in WCW with uh, the Dangerous Alliance. Just the evolution of where he started to where he is now—it's I'm not surprised. Um, you know, he uh, has a lot of people who. Uh, you know, I've been affected by him, you know, either behind the scenes or in front of the camera. You know, he gave me an opportunity. You know, I'm very fortunate that uh, there's plenty of times he could have fired me. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes as a, a young kid. I was only 23 when I started ECW. I was only in the business a year and a half uh, when I got to ECW. I made a lot of mistakes, but he... He had been a, at one time he had been a young performer and, and one time he made mistakes. So he would take me aside and be like, no, next time do this. And then, you know, so, but uh, the fact that he's one of the, uh, 
you know, he's one of the mouthpieces for Roman. Anyway, I mean, you go, you, how do you go from Brock Lesnar to Roman Reigns? Right. <laughs> it's amazing, but it's not surprising to me because I've seen Paul show up to the ECW arena, you know, a couple of, like two hours before the show with a napkin, with everything written out in the napkin and you go to WWE, everything's on the computer. It's nicely printed out. There's two production meetings. There's a nice printout on the wall of everything with the breakdown of times. Just a little napkin. He gives it to John Finnegan, the referee, and John Finnegan has amazing handwriting, so he would write the uh, <laughs> write it out professionally and, and tape it to a wall. But uh, am I surprised that like he's still in the business in 2022? Absolutely not, because he is... He's, he is a uh, booking genius, just a uh, bad bookkeeper uh, when it comes to, uh, <laughs> and I think he would admit that too. He uh, he was he had lofty dreams and wanted to do a lot, but didn't realize how much it would cost to do that. But by the time ECW was making money, you know, you know, uh, you know, if you may, I'm trying to think. I can't believe the '90s were like what 20 years ago. It's it seemed like yesterday. Uh, you know what? If he made money, yeah. If he made money in '97, okay, he was still. (laughs) Yeah, if he made money in '97, he was still paying for the bills of 1996. So, (laughs) yeah, and then you get the TV deal, and you think that's going to save you, and wound up sinking the sinking the company. But you know, he, uh, you know, he's a polarizing individual. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I love him because without him, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to, you know, have a life. You know, if it wasn't for ECW, I don't know what I would have done. I, I don't know if I would be able to support my family. I would probably would have had to, you know, before the, you know, wrestling, I was working in the casinos to save, you know, save up money. You know, I would probably have to just go back to living and work in the casinos, which is a great job, but it wasn't my dream. Pro wrestling was my dream. Absolutely, and you did a did such a great job of that.